This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 16, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. So many of the world's poor are educating their children in low-cost private schools. And though many governments and development groups are blissfully unaware of it, James Tooley has witnessed it firsthand. He writes about it in his new book, The Beautiful Tree. We spoke before a Cato Institute forum for the book held yesterday. I guess the hardest thing for people here in America or in Britain is to realise that poor people tend not to use what you call public education, government education. Um, there, there's this huge mushrooming, burgeoning of low-cost private schools in slums, in shanty towns, in some of the poorest parts of this, this earth. And poor parents are using private schools. They're abandoning government schools because government schools, by and large, are seen as abandoning the children who are in those schools. So it, it's very hard when you talk to someone here on the street, you know, what's happening in, in India or in Ghana or Sierra Leone. Actually, you'll find in the poorest places, children in low-cost private schools, it's not government schools that are helping the poor. How does it, uh, how does it function in these very poor areas? Oh, s- somewhat similar. I mean, there are formal schools that are, are working a normal school day, from maybe from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. Some children, um, in some parts of the world, there are schools that operate in shifts. In Bangladesh, for example, in the slums of Dhaka, you'll get schools operating in two shifts, from nine until 12, from 12 until three. And then maybe some of these poor children would be working um, working in their homes or in some factories on, on garments and so on. But, um, but typically, no, it, it would be similar to what you get in America, I think. Poor children, those who are in school, going to these low-cost private schools for a normal school day. But I think the intuition in the United States and in other developed countries is that it's on its face ridiculous to think that uh, parents who are very poor uh, would devote such a large share of their incomes to sending their children to school. That's not an intuitive uh, thought. Actually, it might not be such a large share. These these low-cost private schools are have very low fees. So in India, typically now, they might be from 2 to $4 equivalent per month. In, maybe in some of the African cases, they're 4 or $5 per month. Um, and if, if you think of your... You, the poor, typically we say the poor are on $1 a day or perhaps $2 a day. Well, if you're on $2 a day, fees of $2 a month, that's one day's income. So it, it's actually not such a high share as you might think. It could be a very, very low share. Now, there are extra costs as well. There's uniform, there's books and so on. And a family may have three or four children they want to put through schooling. But still, it's not a huge proportion of income. It's a manageable proportion, even for someone on a dollar a day. That's an extraordinary thought to bear in mind. These schools are run, they're, they're run on very much on a budget, and they do succeed on that budget. But when people in the United States see the, the kind of poverty that, that uh, you see all the time, it doesn't really even enter their minds, I think, in a lot of cases, that, that children would be in school at all. No, and it's not just, you know, the, the, the people here, um, even people in development agencies, people in the World Bank, people in governments, the world over, they don't know about this phenomenon over uh, itself. This phenomenon of an extraordinary number of 
poor people sending their children to private schools. In some of the slum areas, we reckon there are 70-75% of school children are in low-cost private schools. And yet, if you talk to the Minister of Education responsible for that area, he or she will say, will deny that, that fact, will, will actually say, you know, the, the government is needed to, to bring education to the poor. And people in the international agencies are saying the same. I, I think that the point is that um, poor parents are like rich parents. They want to feed their children, they want to clothe their children, and they want to educate their children. It's as natural to poor parents as it is to rich parents, and that, that, that the naturalness of this is leading to this phenomenon that we see around the, the world today. You said that it's sometimes a surprise to development agencies or the, the World Bank to learn that uh, this is a phenomenon out there. What prevents them from, from seeing it or understanding it? It's a, it's a huge mystery, and I, I explore some of the mystery in the book, really. Why uh, those in positions of power can't, or haven't until very recently at least, seen this phenomenon. Um, one, one could say, first of all, there's an ideological, um, there are ideological blinkers. Um, if, you, if you are thinking that education must be publicly provided, particularly for the poor, that's one of the main motivations for education to be publicly provided, that the poor wouldn't manage on their own. If you've got that sort of ideological view of the world, and you, why would you expect anything else? And you've got to go into these places and look for it. And many, you find many of those people in power don't go into the poorest places. Or if they do, they go there accompanied by a government official who has particular things to show, to show them. So I think it's a combination of just this um, you know, ideological blinkers and the, the actual not being able to go, you know, not actually traveling to see what the poor are doing for themselves. It's hard to say, really. It's hard to it's hard to say this, really, because you know you you can go and stay in some of the posh hotels in India, for example, or Nigeria, uh, or Ghana, and it's only ten minutes walk away. You will find these slums, and if you go into those slums, you will find six or seven low-cost private schools, and yet the people who come and stay in those posh hotels, for some reason, have not not discovered this thing that's happening there, you know, happening in front of their eyes if they only looked. If international agencies, uh, the World Bank aid agencies were aware and had witnessed uh, these low-cost private schools operating uh, amid extreme poverty and they were empowered to make different decisions having that experience, do you suspect that they would? Well, well, some are. So let me say that I, I was talking until very recently. No one has really noticed this phenomenon. Now some people are noticing it, and some people are making different decisions. So USAID, for example, is now um, helping fund some loans for these low-cost private schools, I believe, in Ghana. Um, the World Bank is looking at some projects, uh, I believe, in this area. So there, 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 there is a possibility they would do things differently. However, against that is the Education for All report that recently came out. Um, UNESCO sponsors this Education for All annual report. The, the 2009 report had a few pages on low-cost private schools. So now they've reached the radar. And the conclusion really is that they're a sign of government failure. 
And so the conclusion is not, wow, here's a phenomenon. Let's try and embrace the choices of the poor. Let's see if we can harness the energies of those entrepreneurs and do something great. The conclusion is actually they're just a symptom of the failure of this system and the government system is the one we've got to support. And so, in fact, they're, 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 they're sort of like a symptom of an illness, not something exciting and wonderful to embrace. Now, that's, as you probably gather, my conclusion is these low-cost private schools are very much part of the solution to education for all. They may be even the most important part of the solution the government agencies, at least those responsible, at least those involved in the Education for All report, don't see them that way. That's a, that's a great shame. That's a crying shame because it's, in a sense, negating the choices of these poor parents. They're saying, your choices are, are not valid. Your choices are just indicating a problem rather than actually being valid in their own right. James Tooley is author of the new Cato book, The Beautiful Tree. The full forum for the book is available as a video and audio download at cato.org.